Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and the show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. The library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk, but they can also be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is also now syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel. So please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And for those listeners who I say are in SOS mode, stressed, overwhelmed, and stretched, watch out for my upcoming free caregiver distress recovery challenge, helping caregivers find a path to bringing much-needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, my registered trademark, which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter and teaches strategies for my proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. My latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, in our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. And I'm always honored to say that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. Uh, Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Seniors Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm also thrilled that Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, is a Senior Straight Talk sponsor. Olive Community Services is dedicated to providing culturally appropriate services to the diverse senior population. And before we begin, I always have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a friend, a colleague, and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. So for today's guest, we have Ryan Frederick, who focuses on the intersection of place and healthy aging. His first book, Right Place, Right Time, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life, releases October 12th with John Hopkins University Press. Smart Living 360, his company helps institutions and individuals thrive in the age of longevity, by providing strategy consulting services, real estate development services, and consumer content. 
Clients range from leading health systems to billion-dollar institutional investment firms to national real estate developers, developers to senior living providers, among many others. Smart Living's 360s joint development with Federal Realty Investment Trust. The Stories at Congressional Plaza is an age-friendly apartment community in Washington, D.C. that has attracted national attention. Ryan publishes a consumer blog and other consumer content at www.smartliving360.com. Ryan also serves on the National Advisory Board of the John Hopkins University School of Nursing and is a fellow for Nexus Insights, a think tank focused on new models of care and community for older adults. He's a graduate of Princeton and the Stanford Business School, and he lives in Austin, Texas with his wife and three teenagers. So, Ryan, I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Thank you, Phyllis, for having me. I'm so thrilled to find out about your book that's coming out in just a couple of weeks. And um, one of the things that I uh, thought interesting was in, in reading the beginning of the book is that I think we have uh, different ideas about what the uh, expression aging in place means. And I think it would be great to start off there. What, what does that mean to you? I'll tell you what it means to me as someone who's worked in 50 nursing homes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and great great to be with you. I, I've, in our interactions before this podcast, I've been impressed with your, your passion around uh, just, I'd say the field, but that doesn't characterize it properly. It's more, how can we help people age successfully? And, and unfortunately, our society, there's some good, but there's a lot of holes right now. And it means that there's opportunities to improve some of the places and systems we have. It also means that there's an opportunity to help empower people with better information. And, uh, and, and my, with my book, most of my effort heretofore has been more on the industry side, helping create better places, uh, either directly or indirectly from a consulting capacity. Uh, but the book is the first attempt to help people understand how important place is uh, and, and just make better decisions around it. Because part of my fundamental belief, uh, research-based, is that place, if place matters as much as diet, exercise, social connection, as, it, as it, in the context of just living a long, healthy life. I agree with you. And I think, um, so when I use the term aging in place, I know it's different from what you're talking about. So I'll just tell you when I or, or I would say more people in the industry use aging in place. I mean, like yeah. coming from the nursing home industry, which is people moving into other living environments, whether they be nursing homes or assisted living, skilled nursing facilities, whatever that might be. Um, I think we use the term aging in place as someone who remains in the community uh, to continue into their advanced years and to receive whatever services they need in the community rather than moving into a different kind of living environment. But your place refers to something very different. Well, right? I think it, well, I think it's pretty similar, actually. I think, I think for most um, but consumers and families, when they think aging in place, it's exactly like you described. Uh, typically, a uh, single family home. I've, right. I've lived in, a, in my single family house for decades. I want to stay here and I want to age in my, in my place, age in place. Um, I, I do in the book, I, I do have um, 
a, a chapter, which is a bit of a, of a manifesto against aging in place. Um, you know, it's, it starts off really with the term aging in place. I, I think it does a disservice around what it means to successfully age, because when we say aging, that, that connotes that something happening to us, as opposed to us being in charge, having agency over, uh, over our lives. And that's why I prefer living over aging um, as, as, a, as a more positive and more uh, empowered term. And then in place, to me, it, it connotes images of like statues. You're just stuck. You know, you're stuck and you're, you're, you're aging. And, and, and that, again, that's opposite. That's orthogonal with what the research is around healthy aging. It's about being active, being purposeful, right? Uh, recognizing that you know, change can be necessary. So I don't like in place. It also means that uh, you can be solitary. When, when one of the key things we know about is being in community, whether you're introverted or extroverted, you know, you need others. It's, it's part of the human condition. So I, I prefer kind of living in community over aging in place. Um, not to say that the industry is going to change the term, but I think what we think about and how it enables us is significant. You know, I, I also am critical of the idea of, of the viability of aging in place being the right strategy for all stages of life. And I think what happens sometimes is people somewhat naively and certainly hopefully say, I'm just going to stay in my single family house okay. forever. Um, but the practical realities can be quite different, as you know. Right. There could be limitations in physical design, which I describe in some detail, but even practical matters of uh, a lot of times that social network that you once had may not, may not be there at some point in life. Uh, the practicalities of having healthcare and care delivered to you, you know, in your home can be uh, cost prohibitive. It can be logistically very complicated. Now, there are trends making that a little better for some of that. But I think sometimes uh, I, I think people use aging in place as a strategy because that's really their default. They haven't right. done the hard work. Right. And what the other options are and where there could be better options available. So, um, that that's part of where, where the reason I use you know in community is you might you might love your your area but maybe your single family house isn't the right one at that point and so can you still live in your neighborhood or area but with a physical dwelling that's that's better for you in a few different respects it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to move to an institution right um, that's another way to to think more broadly so I think there are a couple of things that you touched on that um, I find interesting. Uh, in terms of terminology, first of all, I do think that changing our verbiage has a lot to do with how we think and that it would be important for us to change uh, the words that we use and that if we change the words we use, that could begin to change our thinking. One of the things I always point to is that we use the word old all the time. Old is reinforced in our language and in our minds from the time we're young. It's kind of a, um, antithetical thinking. So I've, I've written about this. You, when you're, you're three, it's very cute to say, how old are you? And person, you know, the little person, you know, they can't even figure out which fingers to, to raise. Um, but when, when you're nine, it's great to turn 10, you're double digits and at 12, 13, it's wonderful. And, and, and 19, you become in your twenties. And, uh, but then, 
as you're getting older, it's not so great when you're 50 years old and 60 years old. So we're always reinforcing that word old. So I, I am choosing, I'm very conscious of not saying the word old. They say, how many years do you have? They do that in other languages and other cultures. What year are you in? Um, so-and-so is some, you know, a number of years of age. So that's one thing. The other thing that you, when you use to say living in community, and I use um, this terminology in a little different sense, but um, it kind of is, is similar. Um, you know, when we, when we say people are, um, you know, actively dying or, um, you know, dying with dignity, I, I prefer to say they're, they're living, un, you know, un, un, they're living until the end uh, because you're living until you're not. So then they may be in the process of, of demise, I'll say, but they're still living because um, my specialty for many years was working with people who are ventilator dependent. And so they are dependent on a, a respirator to breathe. And so I think it comes from that because either you're, 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 you're breathing, you're living, or at the moment that you're not, you're not. So I, I use that word living a lot. Um, so I think we, we have some similarities there. I would say that it's very important to change the language. And, I, and when you're talking about uh, a place not being functional for you anymore, like maybe your house, I think that's a lot of, you know, Dr. Bill Thomas's presence with, you know, uh, ideas with the Minka homes that your, your home may have outlived its functional need for your, the space. You no longer need that, that functional space. You need a smaller dwelling. And so, you know, the, the space kind of outlived you in a way in, in, in space. So I get it. And I, I think that's true that people have to think about that. I just met somebody the other day who told me they, she and her husband lived in a rather large home in a, a rural area where I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. And they realized that they don't need that space anymore. And they moved into something that's much small, smaller with you know, conveniences that are, that are more accessible. So I think that, that those are very important considerations. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a big point that we, we, that fortunately with, with Ashton um, Applewhite in particular, I think raising, uh, uh, raising this issue has been uh, probably one of the more prominent people is around this ageism point. Right. And that is we are so impacted as a society around how our society perceives getting older. You know, you talk right, about right. it with the framing. There's uh, and some of it, again, is is not um, consistent with the research. Like there's a there's a global research studies that have pointed out the, the phenomenon of a U-shaped happiness curve. So your self-reported um, well-being. So you have uh, in your 20s, you're at a certain level. And then you go down uh, uh, this negative slope until your late 40s and 50s, early 50s. I like to think it might have something to do with having teenagers in the house. And then it gets better and it gets better. In fact, in your 70s and 80s, your self-reported happiness is greater than it is for people in their 20s. So that that's a good story. It's it's it shows that people's comfort level and their happiness is, is actually indeed better as they get old. That's not what birthday cards would suggest. Right. That's not what headlines would suggest. 
Um, and, and what ends up happening then is we, these things, there are life stages that we should be looking forward to in some measure. And we dilute some of that uh, joy, some of that happiness in advance. And it also impacts, I think, how we think about place. Um, you know, is, is you know, place itself, the way I think about it is um, sometimes we, we think of it more narrowly, just our, our house or apartment. But place really is much broader than that. It's, it is your physical dwelling, but it's also your street, your neighborhood, your metropolitan area, urban, suburban, rural, and then what region of the country and even what country you're in. All these different factors are a composite that help make up your lived experience. Mm-hmm. And so we need to think uh, broadly about it because it ha- can have an impact if you're in one part of the country, which is growing and has different energies. That's different than if you're in an area which is under more like fiscal pressures, for example, or maybe you have a beautiful house, but it's in a crime ridden neighborhood. Like that's not going to work um, to thrive the way that you need to. So <clears throat> there is this question around uh, around place more broadly and then recognizing that, um, you know, it's okay. In fact, it's important to your example earlier with your friends that it's okay that your address may change right. in the journey. On average, people move over a dozen times over the Correct. course of their life. And so part of the challenge and opportunity is to see the benefits of, of living a longer, healthier life, the role that place has in that, and, and then being able to, to port with you this notion of home. Um, for the different places that you may live. And so home, if we think of home as only the single family house that we've been in the suburbs that we've lived in for decades, we're really limiting our ability to create other places that will help us thrive. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, home is where your heart is. And um, maybe that's something we need to think about, uh, bring to the, con- you know, the, the conscious level of, of our conversation uh, instead of getting so stuck and feeling uh, bound to this place where we've lived for so many years, I think that's what you're saying, correct? That's, that's an impediment. And, and in fact, an earlier version, as you know, uh, in the I'm a debut author here, they, they say, but my working title before it became Right Place, Right Time was Home is Where the Health Is. Oh, I love that. And this idea that that where we choose these places have an inordinate effect of, of our ability to, you know, to, to, to be well. And so I, so I think we have to understand what are some of these, these things that impede good decision-making. One of them, as you describe is, is that sense, the idea that we can move to other places that we can belong to. And the idea that getting older actually has a lot of benefits that, uh, that are there, even if, our society doesn't recognize those. And, and, and if we can um, understand why it's so important, that, then, then that can help motivate us to then recognize what are the best places for us at these different stages. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's terrific and probably a great time for us to take a break uh, so that we can talk about in the next segment, what are some of those great places? So we'll be right back on uh, Senior Straight Talk, where we're continuing this great conversation with Ryan Frederick about right place, right time, and how that, um, how that figures into how we continue um, living our lives and where we, where we live them. So we'll be right back on Senior Straight Talk. 
Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Ryan Frederick, and we're talking about his new book, Right Place, Right Time, or Right Time, Right Place, I think, right? right no, Right Place, Right Time. Right Place, it. Right Time. And um, gee, that's the biggest faux pas to to misstate a, the name of a person's book. <laughs> no problem. I've, I've, I've done that to myself before. Uh, but um, um, I said that we, when we came back uh, from break, that we would talk about some of the right places. But something that we talked about during the break that I think would be a great place to start, because you said about the happiness curve and that people seem to get older, uh, get happier, or, or indicate that they're happier as they get older. The fact that we live in an ageist society and, and this whole concept of ages and people internalize that and this does affect how they feel about themselves and does impact their level of happiness and is a source of depression. So I was saying, and I've said this over a, a few months now, that if we could talk about verbiage, if we could change our way of thinking from the time we're young and think of ourselves as emerging or evolving elders. That's an active process that lives inside of us. First of all, the antithesis of that is something we don't want to think about, but then maybe we can embrace that as we're getting older. And when we see older people, we can think of them as a younger person that emerged or evolved into this older person and have a different idea about that older person and respect and uh, wisdom and all of that. Yeah, so some thoughts on that, and, and, and they do link to place as well. So uh, Laura Carsonson, she's the, the founding director of Stanford Center on Longevity. And it was a center that I think started just after I had left business school at Stanford. And one of the things that she's done and they've done at the center um, is they teach a class at Stanford uh, for, I think, undergraduates, maybe business school students as well. And they spend time now imagining what the implications are of a hundred year life. Mm -hmm. So they encourage people to think about different chapters of their life. What would they want that to look like? And some of what that, uh, one of the implications around that is, well, maybe, you know, you don't work as much when your kids are young, but you do more of that work when the kids are gone, when you actually free up time in different ways. And so you start to think about life in more discrete chapters. Right. And this arc of 
I go to school, then work, have a young family, and then retire, and it's all over. That arc is of a different era, quite frankly. And, and so that's why even using the term center on longevity that Stanford's done is different than the word aging. Like longevity is something that has a much more positive con- connotation of people at any age. It's like, yeah, I want to live a long life. How do I do that? And, 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 and I, I think even more so, we want to live a long life that have a, has a score corresponding, correspondingly long health span and a correspondingly long wealth span. So these years are high quality years and, and it does tie then back into well, where does place fit into this? Right. Because if you have a vision that you're evolving and, and growing in different ways in, the, in your life of these different chapters, they may not all be in the same place. Right. A place for you to thrive in one chapter may be different than in another. Being open to those possibilities is, I think, significant along the way. And it, but it starts with this aspirational visioning, right. which is what we're talking about. It means that, hey, I do have uh, exciting chapters ahead, uh, certainly more so than generations before me. How do I take advantage of those options? Right. Right. Is, and and ha- how is place a key variable in that? Uh, I also, when you talk, say retirement, that was really a function of something that came out many years ago. Retire at 65, you'll be eligible for Social Security. But I think people also internalized that and really hung their hat on that. And a lot of people still do. I can retire at 62, 65, you know, retire from my job. And, you know, the, the, the word retirement, I mean, it's, is in that context, that context is really just the leaving one's job and, and ceasing to work. However, what has happened as a result of that, you know, they've had these retirement communities and the, the definitions from other contexts kind of go along with what's happening, has happened in society, which is, um, you know, it, it, it has to do with seclusion or withdrawal, like, almost like a, a jury uh, withdraws uh, to, to um, deliberate on their verdict or a secluded or a private place. And um, I was reading an article in Forbes, it's a 2017 article, and it suggested that the word should really uh, be transformed into retirements, uh, something that maybe you exit or transition several times during your life rather than just one job, one place. And that's kind of like the end point. Yeah. I uh, talk about this in the book as well. You're, you're exactly right, Phyllis. I mean, retire as a definition is to withdraw. Right. When you look at the research around healthy aging, it's not about isolating yourself or withdrawing. Right. It's about engaging and growing. Uh, challenging yourself in different ways, and and even how when retirement was first instituted, and there's a you know a bit of a history on that. Life expectancy was a lot shorter. Correct. And now with people living longer, and you retire early, how does that work? You're going to be retiring for decades, right? You know, maybe for some that's an aspirational life, but I think for many it's not. And and so I, I do, but again, it goes back to this visioning. I know that um, uh, 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 Chip Conley. And his work at the Modern Elder Academy, you know, he talks about kind of regeneration. So how are you, you know, regenerating in these different chapters? And, and it's going to be different things for different people right. as, it, as it plays out. But I, but I do think we're doing our society a disservice 
by just saying the default is you withdraw right. uh, here. Um, and I think that's a broader opportunity. Uh, Mark Friedman, who started Encore.org, is a mentor of mine and, and friend. And he's really led the charge on this for decades now, saying, no, it's this is an opportunity to instead figure out what your next chapter looks like. Right. And pushing what's your, what is your Encore? And in some cases, using those gifts for, for, for social entrepreneurship or ways that, you know, you can help society more broadly. Whether you're leaning that direction or not, still, there are additional chapters that offer an opportunity to, to engage. And, and that, that actually is even some of the ageism we face, recognizing that that's impossible, that's possible and should be encouraged. And that's why place comes in again, too, because if you're, in fact, there's um, a study came in New York Times uh, probably about six months ago, and it looked at ageism and how prominent it was by regions of the country. Hmm, interesting. And, and, and actually, I want to say that, uh, I have to find the article again, but I want to say places like the Northeast actually were among the most ageist hmm. compared to some other places like out West. So that's another factor. When we think about place, What's the there, there is a local culture there. And some local cultures are more open you know, to, to people, uh, uh, you know, of, of all ages being engaged in different ways. So it's, there's a lot of different dimensions to this. Um, just thinking about going back to your question about like specific places, like how should we, you know, how should we think about that? You know, your question before the break, um, you know, the way I think about it and the way I outline it in the book is, uh, and we mentioned this earlier about place being broadly defined, Right. So how do you think about region of the country and metropolitan area and neighborhood? Those are really important factors. When you get into specific dwellings, is it a single family house? Is it an apartment? Is it co-housing? You know, there's a lot of different options that are out there. Um, I think, you know, an important piece in it is to understand kind of what you're personally looking for. So we had a little bit of a technical snafu here on Senior Straight Talk. And um, so if there was a little bit of a, a glitch in the process, I just want to remind people what we were speaking about before that happened. And um, Ryan, you were, you were mentioning the fact that there was a New York Times study that talked about uh, ageism and how that impacted people in different parts of the country. The Northeast seemed to be worse than the West. And you were just mentioning this dashboard that you have in, in your book and about personal choices. So let's pick it up there. Yeah, no, thanks, Phyllis. We, uh, yeah, we, we, we're all should be sensitive to technical snafus in, in the, uh, the era that we live in. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, part of it is we talked about how regions are important. You know, we talked about that earlier, um, but, but it is about personal preference. And, and so understanding what are these things that matter to you and to what degree um, are you following up on that? Is that happening in your place? Uh, one of the examples I talk about is there's um, um, it's, it's, I forget what body in the government, but they do these studies around um, activity by state and uh, places like um, uh, Louisiana, not very active as a state. Places like Colorado, really active. And, and, and there is an element about these social networks, like we're more likely to be uh, uh, obese, for example, if our friends' friends are obese. Wow. 
So we get influenced more than we realize by these local social cultures. And, and so if we're in a place where it's more common to go for a jog or a walk than necessarily grab a beer, then cumulatively, we're probably going to be walking more because that's what people do. Um, uh, and so, so there, there are these, these elements of the, of the country, but, it's, but again, it goes back to what are the things that matter to you and to what extent um, is the environment that you're part of, does it reflect those values? Now, it's not that simple for most people because you, most people are, have some level of rootedness in the place that they live in today. Right. And just because you know, you're, you're in Connecticut, just because maybe someone, uh, I don't know, eats healthier in Southern California, that isn't necessarily, <laughs> I'm sure they eat healthy in Connecticut, but just because that's not reason enough to pick up shop and say, you know, we moved to, they moved to Southern California because more people, you know, are eating kale. I don't know. So, <laughs> I you know, so it's, you know, so it's, but, but it is a factor and, 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 and these things um, it's ideally, you know, you want to be rooted in places that are aligned with the things that you most care about. I did read that in your book. I think it said that in Colorado, the culture is like 85% an active culture. And it was places in more of the South, like Louisiana, Mississippi, those areas that that are less so. Uh, It's interesting what you said about food choices, because I think uh, it is an individual thing. It is influenced by your surroundings, your environment. Um, and I would say it, it does, where you live does factor in. Now, I was doing work a couple of months ago in upstate New York. It doesn't matter where, uh, upstate New York. But I was amazed <laughs> at the things that people were eating. And I... I was thinking, I mean, haven't they heard about the, you know, the cholesterol problem? That's a, that uh, line from my cousin Vinny. Uh, have you heard about the cholesterol problem? In the <laughs> but they were eating, you know, things that I was just looking at this saying, I, I don't even think I ever ate some of these things. And when I looked around at people, there was um, a preponderance of people that were more oversized than less. And, and that is a, a health issue in this country that, that really needs to be addressed. Um, I don't know how you change people's attitudes about that. Uh, it's not, and it is by environment and area, but it's also by indoctrination and culture and what you're used to. Totally. So we, um, my mom's from upper state New York. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. It's all good because I can relate to this. And yeah, yeah, not to pick on Upper State New York. There's plenty of places uh, Absolutely. All, all over the country. Um, I mean, it does tend to be, there is some correlation, I think, to education level. I think, I think people that are better educated tend to uh, make, for a variety of reasons, um, better uh, eating choices. Um, but I do think that, so I'm familiar with that area and I, I know what you're talking about. And, and, and so I think it is, we just have to be aware individually, like we are just influenced more than we realize about the, around the environments that we're part of. Like, it's not just our teenagers that are at risk of peer pressure. We are too. And some of that peer pressure is explicit and some of it's implicit. And it's just better when you're in a place 
where um, those pressures align with what you care about. Right. I, I thought of an article I was speaking. I had this gentleman on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there He has this well-being regimen. I'm doing it. It's, it's something very special. It's something very different. Um, I felt a difference in my body and my focus and, and energy level in, in a matter of days. But um, I told him that I thought that a great article would be the American food crisis that's fried and oversized. And we, we're sucked into those things. And we don't even realize that they're part of our emotional, um, emotional makeup. It's, it's not even a choice. We just don't even realize it. We're just drawn to it. Yeah. And I referenced this in the book, and this is really outside of, certainly outside of my domain of expertise, but uh, when, when some scientists look at the dynamic of friendships, for example, there are certain parts of your, of your body and mind that get energized when you're around certain people, like biologically, they can track this. And people can have the same DNA, but their lived experience is dramatic. And even what, what genes get turned on in the process, depending on like your environment. Right. And, and it's, it's, again, I'm not a scientist. It's quickly out of my domain of expertise, but reading some of these books and these articles, it shows that like there are some environments that do help you live your best self and others, you know, the don't. And, and it's, uh, and, and, and to the extent that we're able, we're able to choose, not, not everyone can choose, but to the extent you're able to choose, um, then, then that's, that's an option to, to really think through and, and, and plan accordingly. Well, I think that is an, an in, integral to healthy aging and longevity, obviously, to make those choices. But you have to be aware, not only will, first you have to be aware before you can change the choices that you make or have a desire to change the choices you make. And because some of it is habit, and we're all, we're all routinized. We all do things by routine and habit, even if we don't realize it or not. The simplest thing, I, uh, not to get to veer off course, but I do exercises with people in um, how to change it, uh, just to be aware of a simple habit. And I, I give them a simple exercise to do. It's very difficult. I, I, it's not an easy thing to change a habit. Um, yeah. So this is even on a larger scale. It takes a lot of mindfulness and um, it, it really is a, a conscious choice. It's, it's not easy, but I would say that that translates into what you're talking about in terms of choices for space, because people just get locked in. I think we said that earlier. Yeah. And so, so there's a, I reference this in the book. There's um, uh, a professor at Stanford named BJ Fogg, and he's uh, an expert in behavior change specifically around habits. And one of the things he talks about, I have a blog on the Smart Living 360 website that talks about this as well. It talks about one of the key things is around, around habits is starting small. Right. Like small things, Very small. tiny, that then you can build, build on top of. So let's say, uh, for example, you know, you want, you know, walking is important. Um, you want to do it more often, ideally with friends. Well, some places that's easier to do than others. So if you're in like a busy urban environment, um, you know, you might be walkable just because you can get outside your door, but um, 
in your high in the building, you just might, there, there are certain situations that, that just maybe that's hard to do, or, or maybe better, maybe better example is you're in a suburban, but busy suburban setting where you really have to get in a car to go anywhere and your area around you is not very walkable. Pick that as, so maybe you aspire, like you want to be able to walk with your friends, but practically it's hard to do. Compare that to a place where you walk outside your door and there's a park across the street. Right. What you've effectively done is you've just lowered the barrier to go do an activity that's important to you. And it makes it that much easier to do and then become a habit. We used to live, um, uh, when, we, when our kids were really young, we lived in San Francisco and we lived in the Presidio. And the Presidio is a national park, but they allow you to rent these old office quarters. So we, we rented an, an, this you know, house built in the 50s, but it was, a, it was a duplex with other families, just opened up and it, you walk outside your door, it's a park. Right. You know, I could just pop on my bicycle and bike to work, you know, so, so place made, made those healthier lifestyle habits easy right. relative to other options. Right. One of the simplest habits or one of a, a very important habit, and we don't want to get into the whole habit conversation really, <laughs> but it, it touches on something that's important to me and something I, I talk about in terms of self-care because uh, if you're going to be committed to self-care, you have to be start with a, changing a habit. Yeah. And um, a simple thing and and talk about health and well-being is hydration, which most people aren't adequate, adequately hydrated. And so um, uh, the best thing to do for that is even if before every meal, you just have a cup of water. It, it's, it's such a simple thing to do. Um, and then that becomes a habit, then maybe then maybe you have one after you eat and then maybe you have one in between and that's how you build on it. But yes, every, every book, whether it's a James Cleary atomic habits or switch or whatever, whatever book you read on habits, they all say the same thing is to start small, but I think it goes to mindset, which we started talking about and, and we can apply that to place in general. So if you start thinking about, about your mindset and wanting to change small habits and look around where you are, um, that may in, inform the choices that you're, you make about your living environment. And maybe it is time to, to make a move that would impact more favorably on your longe- longevity. Exactly. So to pick one other example, let's say you're in a house and uh, you, you're just, there's no one around you. You know, you're at a remote location, but you know, uh, social connection is important, um, but your place just makes it hard to practically happen. So you could try to change your habits of driving out to where friends are on a regular basis, which right. you could do, or you could make one big change, which is move closer to where your friends are. And then it's just a lot easier for these other habits to more naturally happen. And I, I think that's, that's a way to think about place. Place is one of these things that can be a big change that has an impact across a lot of these variables that matter. And, and, that, and that's why, it, again, it, it matters so much. If, if, you're in a, if you're in a great spot, perfect. But maybe you were in a great spot, but now it's not so great because of different things have changed in your life. Or, or not just your life changing, you know, your neighborhood can change. Correct. And, you know, it's, it's, it happens both ways and just evaluating that. So, but it is a bigger thing that then makes these other things easier. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is all very valuable. And um, I hope that people will go out and get the book. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to share all the information, how people can reach you, find out about your company and how they can, um, you know, maybe connect to help them make some of these decisions. I don't know if you uh, help people in that regard, but maybe that's a conversation that you and I can have. I, I don't know. Yeah, so absolutely. And, and Phyllis, thanks again for having me. And your your pa passion, as I've said before, is just palpable. Okay. You know, you're there, you're uh, you're not you can clearly you can move mountains. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me, um, yeah, I'd say, you know, again, the, the theme I keep coming back to is if you if you care about your health and wellness and longevity enough to be mindful about whether you exercise or what you eat or plan financially, play should be in that same domain. And, and I just urge people to, to, do, to do that. I, I think with the book, you know, right place, right time. Um, it's, I think it's, it's, it's designed to be a, an easy, engaging read that prompts people to understand why it's important and then what your options might look like. And then pushing people towards making proactive change if that's the right thing for them to do. Um, I do hope that it helps a lot of people. I hope it's the default book around mm -hmm. place and healthy aging. I don't think there's really anything out there right now. Absolutely that, not. I agree. That fits in this void. So um, so I really hope it, it does take that spot. Um, I am, you can, Amazon, uh, Johns Hopkins University publishes it. So you can see it on their website as well. Um, what I'm also doing though, Phyllis, is, so Smart Living 360, my company, um, you know, a piece of what I do, a big piece actually, is helping uh, different organizations in the broader aging space be more successful. But I'm uh, I'm changing the website to be more consumer focused. Mm -hmm. And and what I'm going to be doing today, you can sign up for. I do a monthly blog, but I'm going to be adding a more of a weekly message with tips and tools on healthy aging and the role of place. Um, and so I think that's another uh, resource for people that to get some content that can be additive to the book or, or, or separate from, because mm -hmm. um, I know these are big decisions. I know people's situations change. And that was really the genesis of the name is that we don't, it's rare that we solve place once and for all. Correct. More likely outcome is life changes and you're constantly calibrating around the right place. And so that's another resource as well at the Smart Living 360 website for some content there too. Well, this has been fantastic, Ryan. And I hope people will go out and get the book. I certainly know that uh, I've read, you know, a good portion of it and I, I recommend it highly. And it is not only right place, right time um, in terms of living, but it's the right time for the book. So I think it's a, uh, everything is coming together perfectly. So thanks for generously sharing your time on Senior Straight Talk and for the enlightening conversations and for the invaluable information you're providing for, for people. I know it's going to be very helpful. So this Thank is Phyllis Amon signing off. Please join me on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of your lives. And please remember to like, click and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.